It's great to be together to worship the Lord together today. Thank you for, for being here. Um, thank you, David, for leading that last song. That's one that I can remember my father singing to me as he rocked me to sleep at night and sing, singing about heaven and, uh, and instilling that love for, for wanting to go there even as a young child. Our children are, are watching us, and uh, let's be reminded of that. Thank you, David, for that song. Well, we live in a world in which it seems there's no shame. People live wicked lives, and instead of being ashamed of those lives, they boast about their wickedness. Gone are the days when stigma was attached to sin, and now people are proud of their sins. In fact, we're coming up on June, which unfortunately is known as Pride Month, which certain people will be boasting of their sin. Gone are the days in which you kept things in the closet because you were ashamed. Now you bring them out on Main Street. Mark shared with me an article earlier this past week about apparently a church in Florida that's going to be having a seminar teaching boys how to dress like women. There's no shame in our society today. And as shocking as this may be to us, this really isn't any different than what we read about in the Bible, is it? The passage that Ben just read for us, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 15, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I, will, at the time I punishment, punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. These people couldn't blush. And people in our society today sadly can't blush. And I could spend the rest of our time together today, and I could even go long into the afternoon talking about how bad our society is and how sad it is that our society is so wicked and terrible. I want to tell you, there's something more concerning than our society. And that is the fact that the world is influencing Christians. You'll, you will notice, if you look at the context of Jeremiah 6, verse 15, that that description was not of a bunch of pagans. It wasn't of all the wicked nations around Israel. No, this was about the Israelites. And I'm afraid that it can be said of Christians today, unfortunately, that we've lost our ability to blush. The world has become very wicked and our exposure to that has caused us to become calloused, I'm afraid, to the evil of sin. And once we're calloused, once sin doesn't cause us to blush anymore, then the devil has us exactly where he wants us. And the problem is, as we walk through this wicked world, that we've got to remain unspotted by it. We cannot allow it to influence us. You know, I think about this about how sometimes when we're out working, and it happened to me yesterday, you put on your clothes that have been cleaned, and you get out and you start working, and you start to know, oh, I got something on my pants. Oh, I shouldn't have held that so close to my shirt. I got my shirt a little dirty. And then as time goes on, you're real dirty, and instead of being worried about getting a little dirt on your clothes, you start to wipe your hands on your clothes when they're dirty to clean them off. And that could happen to us as Christians as we're walking through this wicked world. There's all this evil around us. 
And it cause, can begin to cause us to be callous where we don't blush at sin anymore. Today I want to look at some areas where the Bible tells us we should be blushing. We should have some shame. And I want to ask you, do you still feel that shame? Or have you become like the people we read about in Jeremiah chapter 6, where you've lost the ability to blush? Let me ask, can you blush about your understanding of God's Word? In 2018, the Pew Research Council did a survey and found out that only 35% of the American population read their Bibles at least once a week. 35% of the American population read their Bible at least once a week. And sadly, there's no shame associated with this. There's no shame associated with people saying, well, I only read my Bible once a week if I'm lucky. No shame. In fact... Many people who would say they only read their Bible 35%, uh, only those 35% only read their Bible once a week would boast about how knowledgeable they are, how we live in the age of enlightenment and we know so much, but yet we're only reading the Bible very rarely. And as a result, the same people, the Pew Research Council in 2020 did a survey, and that showed that over half of the people who claim to be Christian see no conflict between our society's morals and what the Bible teaches. Over half the people who claim to be Christian in America today see no conflict, no difference between the morals we should have and the morals we actually have in America. Well, that's not that big a surprise, is it, if you're only reading the Bible, only 35% of us are reading the Bible once a week. The world doesn't have a respect for God's Word, and as a result, they're not studying it like they should. And sadly, I'm afraid that this attitude towards God's Word can rub off on Christians. When we're careless about our study of God's Word, when we don't prioritize our study of God's Word, when we allow other things to take precedence of our study of God's Word, have we lost the ability to blush? about how we're handling God's Word. We need to be ashamed. We need to be blushing when we're more knowledgeable about trivial things than we are about the Bible. When we know more about what's going on in the lives of a celebrity than we know about what happened in the life of King David, we ought to be ashamed. Can you imagine if you're out traveling in your way and your spouse were to write you a letter? And you got that letter, and you looked at it, but you didn't read it. And then you happen to talk to your spouse on the phone, and they say, well, what do you think about the letter? Would it make you blush? You said, well, I didn't read it. I was too busy. You know, there were a lot of things going on, and I just didn't have time to read your letter. Would that make you embarrassed? We have God's letter right here. I want to tell you, it ought to make us blush to say, you know, God, I was a little too busy. There was some stuff going on in Hollywood that I really wanted to catch up on. There were some good videos on the internet that I had to watch. I just didn't have time for this. It ought to make us blush. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul tells Timothy, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling aright the word of truth. We need to study this. So we don't have to go to God and be ashamed of how we've handled 
the word of truth. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have become uh, to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now this verse is giving provision for those who are young in the faith to have time to grow. But those who are older in the faith need to be strong and they need to be diligent in studying the Word so that they can discern from good and evil. And yet we live in a postmodern society where people say, well, you can't say anything's evil. There's really no way to know. What is right for you might not be right for me. And what's wrong for you might not be wrong for me. There's really no way that we can know. But this uh, attitude, I'm afraid, is infiltrating the church. Where Christians today are saying, well, you know, it's just too complicated. That subject's just too complicated. I'm not sure we really can come down hard on one side or the other of that issue. It's just too complicated. And we can't preach hard against this or against that. It's all sort of fuzzy. It's a gray area. I'm telling you, brethren, we need to be ashamed if our senses aren't exercised, if we can't discern good from evil, if we don't know our Bibles like we should. We need to be blushing. We need to be ashamed. And instead, people today are bragging about how open-minded they are and how enlightened they are because they can't condemn evil for what it is. We need to be blushing. I'll tell you something else that ought to make us blush. I want to ask you, as the world rubbed off on you, the sin of others needs to make us blush. You know, the wicked world around us puts their sin on display. They put it on display in the television shows, and in the movies, and on the internet. With all of these media at their disposal, the sinful people in the world are putting these sins on display. And explicit details are given in this media about how or uh, where these sins could be committed. The suspenseful murder mystery shows the details and descriptions of how the murder was committed. All the gory details about how you would go about committing that murder. The steamy romance drama gives extensive details on how two people cheated on their spouses and hid it and got away with it. The documentary on gang life shows how gang members commit their crimes and evade arrest. And we can watch these things over and over again to the point that it no longer bothers us to see people engaged in sin. The problem is, though, that God says that it should bother us and it should cause us to blush. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 12, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 12, For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. When people are engaged in sinful activity, it's shameful to even talk about it. Have we become like the people of Jeremiah's day, where not only does it not bother us to talk about it, we might even like to watch them do it. 
Can you blush when you see other people sin? Does it bother you? Does it make you feel sick to your stomach? Or are you paying out your money so you can watch people commit those sins? It should bother you. Notice how it impacted Lot. Speaking of God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah in 2 Peter chapter 5, uh, 2, verse 7 beginning, God delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. It tormented Lot when he saw people around him living wickedly. Lot wasn't watching it for entertainment. It bothered him. God appreciated that in Lot. He commends that in Lot. He commends Lot to us in that attitude that Lot had towards sin. We have to ask ourselves, does it bother us when we see sin today? It should. Or have we become calloused? Have we become desensitized? This is a real danger. In an essay entitled Overhauling Straight America... We looked at this a while back. I don't know if you remember it or not. It was written in the mid-1980s by a man named Marshall Kirk and Erastus Pill. And they document a way to get America to accept homosexuality. And in this essay, they began their details of how they would get America to accept homosexuality. And they said, first and foremost, you've got to desensitize people to what it is. You've got to desensitize folks if you want them to accept this sin. Here's what they said. Almost any behavior begins to look normal if you're exposed to enough of it at close quarters and among your acquaintances. The acceptability of the new behavior will, become ultimate, will ultimately hinge on the number of one's fellows doing it or accepting it. One may be offended by its novelty at first, but as long as Joe Sixpack feels little pressure to perform likewise, and as long as the behavior in question presents little threat to his physical and financial security, he soon gets used to it and life goes on. The skeptic may still shake his head and think people are crazy these days, but over time his objections are likely to become more reflective, more philosophical, less emotional. you got to just uh, present them with this over and over and over again. And at first they're going to be, oh, but over time, they'll start to accept it. They go on. Where we talk is important. The visual media, film and television are plainly the most powerful image makers in Western civilization. The average American household watches over seven hours of TV daily. Those hours open up a gateway into the private world of straits through which a Trojan horse might be passed. As far as desensitization is concerned, the medium is the message of normalcy. So far, gay Hollywood has provided our best covert weapon in the battle to desensitize the mainstream. And you wonder why you see it on every show you watch and every commercial you see because they want to hit you with it over and over and over again because ultimately it will callous you and it won't bother you anymore. And it's worked, hasn't it? It has worked. These folks admit what they're trying to do. And they've been so successful in our society. And I'm afraid that they've been successful in the lives of Christians as well. Does sin make you blush? 
Does it bother you? It should. And so if we realize that if we're exposed to sin over and over again, it will desensitize us, we have to ask, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to be proactive to prevent you from becoming desensitized to sin? How will you limit your exposure? Will you not watch certain television shows? Maybe most television shows? Will you maybe turn off the news because of all the sinful things that are highlighted in the news? Are you going to stay out of most movies and be very selective about what movies you watch? Are you going to limit where you go, the places you actually physically go and the things you see because you realize there's a lot of sin there? That could desensitize me. When you say things like that, though, when you say things like that to Christians, unfortunately, a lot of times you're going to get, well, you're just a fuddy-duddy. What are you doing getting in my personal life telling me what I ought to watch and what I shouldn't watch? You know what? I can watch that movie and it doesn't bother me. Exactly. You can't blush anymore. If you can watch it and it doesn't bother you, that's exactly what Jeremiah is talking about. It doesn't bother you. You can't blush. Other sin of people needs to bother us. We've got to be aware of that. Tell you something else that needs to cause us to blush, and that is inadequate clothing. We've got a lot of problem in our society today, don't we, with the clothes that people wear in public. Folks almost wear nothing in public and feel no shame. Revealing clothing that would have been off limits, even for the most worldly, not many years ago, is now commonplace and is the norm. Skin-tight clothing that no one, no one would have considered wearing a few years ago is now perfectly fine and acceptable. The ungodly wouldn't have worn this type of clothing a few years ago because it would have embarrassed them. But now it's fine. Now they don't blush at all. The problem is that people don't have shame when they're naked. And God says we should have shame when we're naked. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 15, this is figurative language, but figurative language has to be based on a literal fact. And the literal fact is that you should be shamed when you're naked. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. Nakedness is a shame. And our society today doesn't feel any shame when they're naked. But someone might say, well, you know, I don't know why you mentioned that verse, because I've seen a lot of skimpy clothing, but I've not seen anybody walking around without anything on. Nobody totally naked. Well, we need to understand what the Bible says about naked. And the Bible doesn't use the term naked to mean you don't have a stitch of clothes on. The Bible uses the term naked to, show, to mean that you don't have adequate clothing on. We can look at lots of places for that, but let's start in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 3, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam, said to, and, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord 
among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? Adam and Eve ate the tree. They realized that they were not adequate clothes. In fact, they didn't have a stitch of clothes on. And so they made for themselves aprons or garments that would cover the midsection. And God comes and they hide. Why? Because they said we were naked. We didn't have enough on. And God didn't say, you know what? Why, why are you saying that? You got your aprons on. God agreed that they were naked. They didn't have adequate clothing on. The Bible says that you should be ashamed when you don't have adequate clothing on. And the Bible can help us understand what adequate clothing is, what nakedness involves. And one of the things that the Bible says is that revealing the thigh is revealing your nakedness. Exodus chapter 28, verse 42 in discussing the priest's garments, and we're not saying you have to dress like a priest today, but we're allowing God to define terms for us. God says that you need to cover your thigh so that you don't uncover your nakedness. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 42, And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. You need to go from your waist to your thigh. You need to keep your thigh covered so you keep your nakedness covered. The Old Testament shows us. Isaiah chapter 47, beginning of verse 2, uses this same type of language about covering the thigh. And when we uncover the thigh, it says we uncover our nakedness. In Isaiah chapter 47, beginning of verse 2, Take the mill millstones and grind mill. Remove your veil, take off the skirt, uncover the thigh, pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not arbitrate with a man. Talking about some punishment that were coming on these people, but one of the things that was talking about here is they're going to have to take off their skirt. They're going to uncover their thigh, passing through the rivers, as you can imagine someone pulling up their garments so they could pass through the river. And it says when they uncovered their thigh, they would be exposing their nakedness. There needs to be shame associated with not wearing what we should wear. When we uncover our nakedness or expose our nakedness, and in the Old Testament, God defines that as exposing our thigh. And as a result of Adam and Eve still being naked after they covered their midsections, notice that God helped fix that problem by making tunics for Adam and Eve. In verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them a tunic. As we understand by looking at this word, it's something that would cover them from their neck down to their knees or below to keep that part of the body that needs to be covered covered. I want to tell you, I'm afraid that the problem that we have today in the church is that Christians have allowed the world to influence our dress. And now Christians can dress in ways that are too close to what the world says is right instead of too close to what God says is right. Paul gives instructions on how women are to dress, in particular in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 9. And the instruction isn't just make sure that you follow society standards. Just make sure that you're not on the edge. No, the instruction is that in verse, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or cost, pearls or costly clothing, 
That's the New King, King James Version. The old King James Version, you're right, remember, uses the word shamefacedness. The idea of not wanting to expose ourselves and it, the shame that comes with that. Because exposing ourselves is something that should be shameful. And when we talk about immodest clothing, someone might raise the objection and say, well, you know what? It isn't immodest if everybody else is dressed that way. Being immodest just means that you're standing out from the crowd and you're trying to draw attention to yourself. And so if you're dressed like everybody else, you're not being immodest. And so if everybody else is dressing this way, as long as I dress to that standard, I'm fine. No, not necessarily. You can still be immodest when you're dressed just like everybody else. But furthermore, we're talking about nakedness, not just about immodesty. We're talking about covering our nakedness, and nakedness has an idea of shame with it. And I want to tell you that if it's shameful anywhere, if your type of clothing that you're wearing is shameful anywhere, it's shameful everywhere. We can't have a different standard of what's naked when you're at the gym versus what's naked when you're at worship services. Nakedness is nakedness, and if I'm exposing my nakedness, it's a shame. It's a shame on your wedding day. How many Christians have you seen dress in ways that they wouldn't dress coming to worship because it's got too much skin revealed? But somehow on our wedding day, it's okay. Nikki told me about a Christian that she saw post on, posted on Facebook in a wedding gown. That was fashioned in a way that had made national media a few years ago when a celebrity wore that kind of dress for how much it revealed. It was scandalous for this celebrity a few years ago to wear this dress, and now Christians are wearing it today. Has our society rubbed off on us so that we can't blush anymore when we reveal our nakedness? You know, our clothing says something about us. In Proverbs chapter 7, verse 7, beginning, And I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. How did you know that a woman is a harlot? I want to tell you, this woman wasn't walking around without any clothes on. She had on clothes, but her clothes said something about her. She was a harlot. What do your clothes say about you? Do your clothes say that you're concerned about God's standard for how you dress? Oh, but I just think you're sort of being old-fashioned about this. Here you go again being another an old fuddy-duddy. I don't see anything wrong with it. Exactly. Maybe you've lost the ability to blush. We need to think about how our society is impacting us. And finally, I want to ask you, does the society that we live in, has it impacted you in your regard, in your, your relationship to sin in general? You know, the wicked around us boast of their sinfulness. The guys in the office like to brag about their wild living the night before. The kids at school like to boast about their sinful weekend. 
The ladies on Facebook like to brag about what happened at the ladies' night out. This is nothing new. Our society likes to boast about sin, and this is nothing new. In Psalm 10, verse 3, For the wicked boast of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked boast about their desires, their sinful passions. They boast about them. There's no shame associated with their sin. And I'm sadly, I'm afraid that this can rub off on us. Does our sin cause us to be ashamed, or does it just not bother us anymore? In Daniel chapter 9, that we looked at in our Bible study this morning, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs to Thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day, to the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off. Through all the countries, whether Thou hast driven them, because of their trespass, they are that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Daniel said, we have shame because of our sin. Do we see sin this way? Or do we try and justify ourselves? Well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But everybody's doing that these days. Eh, yeah, maybe I, maybe I did something I shouldn't, but it's not really that bad. You know, I could have done a lot worse. In fact, I'm not as bad as she is, and I'm a whole lot better than he is. My sins aren't really that bad, you know? Look at how wicked the world is around me. I'm doing a whole lot better than them. In fact, I'm a whole lot better than I used to be. You should have seen me a while back. Well, I was really bad. Now, now I'm a lot better, but I, no. Have we lost the ability to blush? Do we see ourselves like God sees us? Do we, like Daniel, feel the shame associated with our sin? Rather than if we've got sin that we keep hanging around in our lives, Sin that we've just come to accept. Yeah, I know I ought to do better, but I'm not all that worried about it. Yeah, I know that's wrong. Someday I'll take care of it. Then I'm afraid we've lost the ability to blush. The world that we live in is so wicked, and it can easily influence us. There are a lot of things going on in this world around us that should make us blush. Do we have the ability to blush? How are you living this morning? Are you living in such a way that you can stand before God and not be ashamed? If there's things in your life that need to be corrected, make those corrections. Don't keep living in a way that is shameful. Because ultimately, if we keep stepping on our conscience long enough, we won't be able to blush. If there's things that we can help you with this morning, we let us know while we stand and sing.